Hi, my name is Morris Scott, and welcome to another episode of A Father's Devotion. In this episode, we are exploring highlights from the book of Nahum. Uh, But first, let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of Nahum. Uh, We pray that as we open up this book and explore highlights, that you would just uh, apply these wonderful truths to our lives and impact our circumstances in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of Nahum. Uh, this book is dated about 663 BC. Uh, Nahum's name means comforter or consolation. Nahum's message was given to Judah. Uh, this message was that Nineveh, uh, an Assyrian city, would be destroyed. This message was no doubt comforting to Judah since the Assyrians were a threat to Judah. However, just because Assyria would be destroyed does not mean Judah would not be judged by God for disobedience. Nahum is connected very much with the book of Jonah because Nahum deals with the people of Nineveh approximately a hundred years after Jonah preached there and they were converted. Um, Thus, the book of Nahum concerns in one sense how effectively preaching, revival, and ministry that one generation experiences impacts future generations. In other words, while we are experiencing God in a glorious way, what's happening with our children and our grandchildren? Are they cast aside? Are they left at home in a different section of the building? Uh, we must always make sure that our children are experiencing just as powerful of the anointing as we are. Otherwise, there'll be trouble as they grow older and move out on their own. The presence of the Holy Spirit must be implanted in their heart and the roots of the power of God must begin to stretch out in them that they may impact their generation. With that, let's move right into the highlights. Uh, the first highlight is is the first chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, 6 through 7, 9, and 14. The Burden Against Nineveh, uh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Verse 9. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. Verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. Okay, so here we see uh, Nahum as the prophet. We see also characteristics of God. God is jealous over his creation because he alone owns his creation. He desires good for them and is jealous when they stray away and engage in evil for their own hurt and destruction. We also see that God has the ability to avenge evil. This is because God is just. We see the fury of God against those who oppose him and God's wrath. Listen, yes, God is love. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is kind. 
However, we must understand that God is not a puppet. God does not exist just to make us humans feel good or to do what we please. That is not God. God is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is sovereign. It is his will that governs. He is the one uh, who determines right from wrong, righteousness from wickedness. Therefore, we must measure up to his standard of righteousness or face his wrath. And the only way that we, as sinful as we are, can measure up to God's righteousness is to take on the righteousness of the only one who did did measure up Jesus Christ. Uh, this is what salvation is all about, saying, I receive Jesus Christ into my life as payment for my sins, and I take on his righteousness before holy God. In verse three, we see God being slow to anger and great in power. God exercised this mercy upon Nineveh uh, in allowing Jonah to preach to them and giving them a chance to repent. Verse three also speaks of the justice of God, namely that God will not let the wicked go free. Listen, we live in a world in which man's corruption will often allow the wicked to go free and the innocent to be prosecuted and convicted. However, in God's system, the wicked will never go free. Ultimately, every evil man will be punished. Every wicked act will be exposed and condemned. Verse 3 also speaks of God having his way in storms and whirlwinds and clouds. Listen, is there a storm in your life? Is there a whirlwind you are experiencing where it seems as though issues are moving so quickly that you can't keep track of them, much less deal with them? Is your life cloudy where you are unable to see clearly? Well, you need to know that God will have his way. God is in control. I'll say that again. God is in control. If your life is in God's hands, your life is never out of control, regardless of what it seems like to you. Just pray and ask God to open your eyes that you may see that the host of heaven that are for you are more than those that are against you. You can see as a reference for that, Second uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 16, and Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Verse 7 uh, shows us that God is good. Listen, even when God is judging the wicked, when he is furious, when he fails to act when we want him to act, or when he allows things to happen that we don't like, we must remember that God is good. His goodness is a part of his being. It's not a mere choice of his. It is who he is. His goodness cannot be measured by our understanding, but is beyond our comprehension. We see also that God is a fortress in the time of trouble and has an intimate knowledge of those that trust in him. God knows you inside out. There is nothing in your heart that God does not know about. Even before you understand your thoughts, God understands it. Psalm 139 verse 2, and God is able to protect you and to shield you and defend you. Uh, this is the conclusion that allows us to rest in God. We can go through the most trying of circumstances and have a settled peace. Philippians chapter 4 calls that the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Verses 9 and 14 of this first chapter of Nahum shows us God's judgment against Nineveh, that it will be final. Although God extends mercy, there does come a time where God can render a final judgment against wickedness. Listen, we cannot mock God and expect him to do nothing. God cannot be mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Let's move to our next highlight. That's the second chapter. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1, 8, and 13. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. 
Verse 8, though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Verse 13, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. So we see here a more reference to judgment against Nineveh and Assyria. Nineveh would be captured by Babylon. Nineveh is described as an aged tub or pool that is leaking. Listen, With age can often come wisdom, but age alone is insufficient to ensure godliness and spiritual sensitivity. Every person must examine their lives to determine whether there are leaks, leaks that can allow the power of God in our lives to escape. Leaks could be unrighteous conduct, could be ungodly relationships, could be doubting God, could be lack of trust in God, could be fear, could be low self-esteem, could be pride, could be arrogance, could be idolatry where we put things ahead of God. Verse 13 states that God is against Assyria. Listen, it is a terrible thing for God to be against you. It is impossible to win if God is against you. But the consolation is that to those who trust in God, God is not against us. But God is for us. His thoughts towards us uh, and plans for us are not of evil, but of peace to give us an expected end. It's Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It is also of consolation to know that God is against our enemies. Listen, I don't have to fear my enemies if I know that God is against them and will judge them. I can rest in God because God is for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. Let's move to our next highlight, uh, the third chapter. We're going to read verse 1, 4 through 5, 7, and 18. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. Verse 4. Because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorcery. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Verse 18, your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria, your nobles rest in the dust, your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. So we see that verse 1 shows us that God's judgment is never in a vacuum. God judges wickedness. Sometimes people will see the judgment of God while not knowing the extent of the sin being judged. But God knows and sees everything. And when he judges, you can be sure that there is a reason for his judgment and that ultimately he is just and good. Verses 4 and 5 show us a little more about the reason for the judgment upon Nineveh. They engaged in seductive harlotries. The King James Version calls it whoredoms. They engaged in sorceries. The King James Version calls it witchcraft. Again, there is wickedness in this world that the average person is unaware of, but God sees it and knows about it and will judge it. When God judges, when God chooses to conclude his mercy and to judge, we must often leave it alone and continue to walk toward higher ground as Lot did, not looking back lest we fall under judgment like Lot's wife. Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. Now, verse 7 shows how Nineveh would have a negative testimony as people would look upon it. The question is, how did Nineveh become so ungodly after Jonah preached to it and after the people repented? 
intended. The question is one of generational impact. Did they communicate godliness to the generations to come or did they neglect the generations to come and allow them to slip into sin and idolatry? Did they prioritize ministry to their children or did they only care about uh, their spiritual lives? The Bible says a lot about ministering to future generations. I uh, see Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. See the whole chapter of Psalm 1. Uh, see Psalm 78, verse 4. Uh, Proverbs, that entire book generally. Uh, also see Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 and many other scriptures. Look, many of us have experienced the presence, the power, and the glory of God in tremendous ways. But we must not stop there. The question is, have our children experienced the power of God? in their lives? Are they soaked, steeped, and saturated in the power of the Spirit of the living God that will enable them to deal with the world in which they are growing up? Do they have sufficient knowledge of who God is that when they go away to college, they will not be overcome by secular arguments by professors and other students? Uh, This whole idea that I'm going to church to have a good time, but let me get uh, a babysitter for my kids so I can enjoy myself at church without being quote unquote disturbed. This is wrong. This is spiritual pride and self-centeredness. Then you wonder why uh, a child, when they grow up and go to college, strays away or doesn't go to church anymore because they weren't brought up to go to church, but to stay at home while we get our spiritual fix for the day. It's not a spiritual fix if you're not impacting your children. We must make sure that they have that intimate, close yada knowledge of God so that when they are old, they do not depart. Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. We must make sure that the atmosphere at home is conducive uh, to their spiritual growth and not so filled with secular influence that they have no knowledge of God. What kind of music is being played in your home? What kind of TV shows and movies are being shown in your house? What is being piped into your house? unbeknownst to you. What is on your child's electronic devices? As shepherds, we must safeguard these things and ensure uh, that a godly atmosphere is in place so that our children can be spiritually impacted and carry the presence of God in their lives to witness to the generations to come so that future generations don't fall under judgment the same way that the future generation of Nineveh did. Verse 18 shows the terrible state of Assyria uh, in that her shepherds, her leaders would not be alert enough to protect her, but would be in a state of slumber. Listen, shepherds are not supposed to sleep during the time of danger. They are supposed to watch over the sheep in their care. Who are you a shepherd over? First of all, you are a shepherd over your own life. If you're married, you're a shepherd over your marriage. If you're a parent, you are a shepherd over your children and your home. If you're a ministry leader, you are a shepherd over those working with you in whatever capacity you are called to lead in. Don't stay in a state of slumber. Keep your eyes open. When danger is near, don't turn a blinded eye. Don't let the wolves in. Sound the alarm. Fight to protect the sheep. Use the Lord as your guide to how a sheep should function. Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you uh, that you are our shepherd and our guide. Uh, We pray that you would help us to shepherd our lives, our families, uh, and those uh, you have sent into our sphere of influence. Help us to effectively minister to our children and grandchildren so that they may be saturated with your power to affect future generations, that judgment would be averted and peace instead would reign. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.